ब्रेकफास्ट स्पेशल Singapore is undergoing a demographic shift. While the Little Red Dot is still a young nation that's just turned 58 years old, its population is greying. In 2010, about 1 in 10 Singaporeans were aged 65 and above. A decade later in 2020, that number rose to about 1 in 6. By 2030, that's just 7 years away. Almost 1 in 4 Singaporeans will be above 65 years old. Aging has been recognized as a key issue that's shaping the future of the country, how we live, work and play. And that's also why it came under the spotlight at this year's National Day rally, where Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong coined a new term, young seniors. On today's morning shot special, we'll be diving deeper into the graying layers of Singapore society with Pauline Strawn, professor of sociology practice at the School of Social Sciences and the Dean of Students at the Singapore Management University. Thanks for joining us on the show, Pauline. Thank you very much, Ryan. All right, this very interesting term, young seniors, as PMD fondly calls them, are actually those born in 1973 or earlier. So they are about 50 years old and above now. What is the significance, given that we are no longer just focusing on those 65 years old and above? Well, I think it has to do with the dramatic demographic shift that we have gone through, and many Singaporeans don't quite realize this, right? So we're heading into what is called super ages, which means like one in four will become, you know, uh, six five and above uh, in time to come, very soon, twenty thirty. The projection is. So this means that as we prepare to strengthen Singapore and to ensure that we do not lose the essence of the only asset we have, which is human resource. We are in a good position to ensure that we are able to leverage our extended longevity. I think that is the crux of the message. Well, first, there was the Pioneer Generation Package targeted at Singaporeans born in 1949 or earlier. Then came the Madeka Generation Package, benefiting those born in the 1950s. And at the National Day rally this year, PMD introduced the Majula Package, the youngest of the lot, designed to boost the retirement and healthcare savings of the so-called young seniors. So, Pauline, how different are the three packages? All the central aim of supporting our aging population. It speaks to the strengths and the gaps in each of these cohorts. With the Pioneer Generation group, we are dealing with our target audience, who are the very old Singaporeans who grew up in a very different Singapore, and many of our pioneers did not benefit from you know the infrastructure that we now see as norm, you know, with adequate CPF, with health insurance, retirement preparation, and so forth. So the Pioneer Generation package was perhaps, I think. One of the most brilliant social policies in the world, which looked after the health and well-being of our older Singaporeans in that age group, and of course, the way it was done, it was a very inclusive package. So it valorized those who had sacrificed their youth towards building Singapore, and the Singaporeans generally. And I think this continues to be the crux of what Singaporeans stand for. Right? We generally are not in favor of welfareism. There's a very strong sense of pride and self-reliance. So when Something comes out as a handout. We always risk alienating those who need it most because they wouldn't come forward. So with the pioneer generation, it took care of the health of this very important, you know, precious group in our society. 
Then when we went down to the younger group in the Medeca generation, again, you know, profile is a little bit different from the pioneer generation. These are people who have a little bit more asset, you know, who are more educated, perhaps more savings. And so the package then is focused primarily on retirement adequacy, more so than pioneer generation. Now comes the Majula. Again, you know, dealing with a very different group. I mean, these are people who are still in the workforce, who have every means of, you know, helping ourselves. And so means testing becomes a key feature. It cannot be at all inclusive because at the end of the day, I always remind everybody, government has no money, right? It's all our money. So therefore, it's how much taxes are we willing to bear and pay? And so I see this as a progressive kind of, you know, tweaking to address the specific gaps and to plan, I think, forward in a manner that is sustainable. I mean, that's the key word, right? It's a sustainable way of moving forward and learning how to receive an aging population. So if you look at the Majula package, essentially, the central focus is on self-reliance because the thrust of it comes in co-partnership, stay in the workforce, Work as long as you can, and we will partner you by raising your CPF. Yeah, maybe I can expand on that. What kind of shifts do you think that signals in terms of our retirement adequacy needs? And are there specific segments of the population that you're perhaps particularly concerned about? I run ROSA, right, which is a center for research on successful aging. We look at aging as a positive aspect, and we tend not to focus on that as much. You know, when we say aging population, immediately all oh, gloom and distress, right? Oh, we're, oh no, you know, we're going to all, all, all be so old and dependent. Oh, what nonsense, right? <laughs> if we are well prepared, you know, for this extended longevity, it means then that, you know, Singapore being a country that is so solely dependent on human resource, it's good news, right? Because it means that we're not dying off. It means that we are able to live longer. And it also means that our labor force is not always going to be, you know, like fresh new faces. You have to start retraining all over again and then they dissipate. We are going to be able to rely on an experienced workforce that has lived through emerging crises and has, you know, a, a sufficient experience, right, and tenacity to understand what is required should the next crisis come on board. But the question, of course, is how do we, first of all, ensure that we leverage longevity? Because there's another important statistic that we don't often hear about, and that is the health-adjusted life expectancy. So right now in Singapore, we live till on average about 84, 84.5 years. However, in terms of living well, right, the health-adjusted life expectancy is only at about 74. So there's a good 10-year gap. 10 years where we may not be living fully, where we may be living with disabilities of one sort or another. Moving forward, knowing that we have achieved the first goal, which is extend life expectancy, we now have to ensure that we extend health-adjusted life expectancy. Then we will be able to launch forward and you know take advantage of extended life expectancy and we will not be afraid of an aging population will see the aging population as a strength of our country. And then, of course, moving forward in terms of retirement and work, I think we will have to learn how to do it better. I think right now, in Singapore's context, I don't think we have fully taken advantage of the potential you know, uh, assets that we have. 
we think of receiving an aging population in terms of just extending the mandatory retirement age, right? So in short, let's allow you to work longer. And then there's a lot of activity in the skills future set of the house. And that means looking at how we can train, retrain, etc. Right, So that you can remain relevant. But things are changing very quickly with AI and technology. And the other important, important factor is that we assume that people always want to work. Right? Because it's like, oh, who, who doesn't want to work? You know, who, who, who can live without working? Well, you know, we've come to a point where there are people in Singapore, the baby boomers who have crossed over 60, 65. They're in good position to actually retire and look forward to just doing other things, right? So question then is, are we able to continue to transform the workplace and understand better the meaning of work for a person and the cohort who are supposed to be traditionally retiring, so to speak? Yeah, that's a very good point. It's not just about living long, but also living well. And Singapore's approach to the ageing population is a multifaceted one with a focus on home and community-based care as many seniors have expressed their preference to live out their golden years in their own homes and neighbourhoods. In light of that, HDB flats and neighbourhoods will become more senior-friendly with enhancements to the current Enhancement for Active Seniors or the EASE programme. What's your assessment of the latest move? Is that sufficient to ensure seniors can age in place? We've always thought of aging as a very private family and you know family decision right so so you know very traditionally we assume that the family takes care of everything in Singapore that's why it's so important for us that you know everybody gets married have children because if that ecosystem works then the families look after their aged families look after their vulnerable members however we are already seeing this right we can't rely on that formula anymore. It's not that Singaporeans don't value family. We do. We valorize family. But not everyone has that same type of family where you have young and old under one roof and therefore, you know, all kinds of caregiving needs can be taken care of. We have to learn how to receive family forms where you have people living alone or living with other, you know, older adults and question then is how do you ensure that we can continue to live independently as we grow older with some chronic ailments you know with some disabilities but still the dignity of being able to carry out our everyday life that's one second and very important social integration across generations supremely important for mental well-being how do you ensure that even those who may not have children or grandchildren can be well integrated into their community of neighbors so that the intergenerational transfers of all sorts of exchanges can continue to take place. This means then how we house people becomes supremely important. Infrastructure is so powerful. We don't often think about it, but if you think about okay, HDB flats, very simply put, slab blocks versus point blocks. Slab blocks, no choice. You know, if you are the neighbour who lives by the lift, you see all your neighbours ins and outs. So if there's a murder or anything, you go to that, that, that house that's right by the lift and they can tell you exactly what time, you know, who went where and what and who showed up. But then, you know, as we learn, you know, how to enjoy modernities, we value uh, privacy, right? So HDB responded to that. And now, you know, if you're in those very, very private blocks, at most you have one neighbour or four neighbours, you know, in the point block setting. And most people close their doors and they would rather not know the ins and outs because everybody values their privacy. And But there's a cost there. And that is when you become so private, that you don't even know who your neighbours are. Right? And so, and we lose. 
we lose because you know that community that we live in is actually a very important part of our well-being. Because if you have neighbors who care about you, if you have neighbors who are busybodies, the good kind of busybodies, right? You don't have to be a socially. You know, you, I can I can be a very socially awkward person who don't like people and all that. But if I live in a neighborhood where there is very high social capital, it means that. I open my door. I go downstairs. There's hive of activities going on. I I may not want to join them, but they are right there for me. But that also means that I will have neighbors who care about me. They don't see me for a few days. They'll come knocking on my door, and it also means that if I'm a socially, you know, maybe awkward person or someone who is don't have a lot of networks, don't know what to do and where to go for things. I just have to go downstairs. So if I have a active aging center downstairs, you know, I love, I love I love dancing, and but I don't have a partner. I could just join a class. I you know I I I love home cooked food, but I can't cook for myself only. If there is a community kitchen, whoa, high five! You know, we all go and contribute, etc. etc. Right. So that requires very clever architecture. So you build spaces where. You allow people to have privacy when they need to go home and rest, you know, and and do their own thing. But you also have, you know, shared spaces where you have the neighbors gathering, and they can gather in a safe space, in a convenient space, and you don't even have to partake of the activities. You just have to walk by to recognize the faces who are always there. And then there you have it, right? So I'm very, very happy with this initiative. Architects are architects, right? We need to all be busybodies here and give our five cents worth, right? So here is where I hope that you know this would be the start of many conversations between HGB and urban planners and residents. Nothing is worse than building something out of abstract and then hope that people can just you know make sense of it. In order for you know living spaces that will become part and parcel of everyday life of the community, the ideas have to come ground up as well. We have to understand how people naturally gather, what kind of activities naturally draw residents out of their homes into the shared public space. Then build these spaces so that the buildings then you know fit into the aspirations of what residents need. Yeah, Pauline, I think、uh, you've hit the nail on the head. PMD also stressed that this actually is one of the biggest threats to the well-being of seniors. Loneliness, and you also gave a bit of an overview of all the gaps that need to be addressed. In terms of progress, are we making enough progress fast enough? So COVID nineteen brought us you know, many scares for many of us. It's the down period of our lives, right? But there are also very important lessons that we learn from COVID nineteen. So COVID nineteen, what happened was it cut off the lifeline of seniors who lived alone, right? Because with all the social restrictions, in the spirit of keeping them safe. We cut them off from everyone who used to visit them. Now we're trying to build those. So Rosa has been studying, right? The group of seniors who suffered from, you know,、um, I guess the unintended consequences, right, of our shutdown,、uh, lockdown period. And we learned that those who are able to leverage technology, those who have smartphones, who could use WhatsApp, who could do calls and all that, managed to maintain a certain level of well-being. So therefore. Moving forward, I think we have to, you know, look at what is new, right? And technology certainly is one. 
Now, how do we leverage technology to ensure that those who may live by themselves or with smaller groups, right, are able to still stay connected to a larger society? Now, of course, with that comes a lot of education. Right, it's not as simple as wiring up the house and then giving giving them a tablet and say, okay, here, you know, now you you are technologically savvy. That's not true, right? So I think that one of the things that we could, you know, do uh, in addition to what we already do well, right, and that is having you know ground up social activities and opportunities for engagement. And, and in doing so, of course, um, we also have to have ensure that engagements are safe because we took one step forward and then we took one step backward right we got very excited with and everybody you know tried to jump on board as you know we have a digital ambassadors helping seniors to learn how to do you know iphone banking etc etc and then the scammers came and now everybody's so scared nobody dares to answer any calls nobody wants to use you know social media because they're so scared that they're going to be scammed so these are things that you know, set us back but we have to keep moving Right, we should not fear technology just because there are there are, you know well you know, there are people who who take advantage of it you know to to hurt others, but we just need to get ahead of the game because I think in the new society that we you know are all ready to embrace, we're going to have to I can I think accept the fact especially Singapore being Singapore that as a sociologist I will always valorize social networks and connectedness. However, given that we are very, we are, you know, a global society, many of our important ties will not necessarily be break, be based, you know, in our neighborhood, right? Children, loved ones, good friends, in and out of Singapore. So, with these geographical spaces that are going to be, you know, they are already a norm in our everyday life. How do we close that space? How do we ensure that when we build networks and the networks start to become very mobile, we can continue to hold on to each other mm. and still be friends? So that's one way forward, right? Okay, Pauline, on that topic of loneliness is also another related issue. There's also a bit of a trend of concern, which is more people staying single. And this is based on data from an earlier population census. More Singaporeans are staying single. So if that solidifies and worsens the silver tsunami where you have more older people staying single, what other initiatives do you think need to be enhanced to ensure these young singles stay supported? I think singers are a group we really don't know much about because we spend so much time. I started working as a sociologist in the 1990s, and I've pretty much spent most of you know my first 20 years of my career, you know, getting young young adults to get married and have children, right? Family, you know. And now I begin to realize that we know so little about our singers, not just the older crowd, but the younger group. You see that. 30 and below has an overwhelming majority who are singers. And then as you look at 30 to 35, 35 to 40, the proportion singers is just going to increase, right? I mean, this is a fact of life when you live in an urban city. Whether Singaporeans remain single by choice or circumstance, the fact is they are a big group. So I do think that we need to grow and nurture a singer's cohort so that we can follow the aspirations of singers as they go through the life cycle and ensure 
that we do not, you know, make so many assumptions about their aspirations and their needs. Of course, in doing so, we send a very important signal to our singers that they are just as important as any other member of the Singapore community. Now, moving forward, when you look at the cohort of singers, they are not alone, you know, for those, most of them. They are very well integrated in, you know, groups of friends, right? The kin, kinship is important, but non-kin social relations are equally important. So how do we recognize that? Because when we recognize, then we valorize. And then we send the signal that, you know, even though, you know, you, you don't have a child whom we can call on, I can still call on your best friend, right? Or your friend who has, you know, committed to take good care of you and so forth. So a redefinition of what constitutes familiar ties. And of course, this will then, you know, intertwine with all our social policies. So for example, when you apply for HDB flat, right? You, you married only you can you can get HDB flat very easily, right? You just bring your marriage cert and you register and there you go. We might think about what if you have a couple of good friends and you say we are, you know, three good friends who went through school together and now we want to continue to, you know, nurture our relationship and we want to buy an HDB flat together. Maybe HDB need not wait till they're 35. <laughs> you know, well, okay, I must say HDB has already moved one step towards the aspirations of singers, right? Now you don't have to wait until you get the leftovers. You can apply, you know, for BTOs and so forth. But then the other thing is, you know, sometimes, you know, nurturing friendships is just as important as nurturing family ties. As a sociologist, what worries me most is social isolation. Because then when you need to invoke helplines, you don't know who to call. But when we have these natural ties that arise just because we go to school together, because we work together, we enjoy leisure together, and then if they want to buy a flat together and they can't afford private, why not? This is an aspiration I hope we can realise right, in the near future. So there are other you know, exciting elements that we can look into when we first of all realise that the Singapore demographics has shifted. And with this shift comes opportunities. And then the third group are the youths. Simply because COVID has changed the world that we live in. We, they study so hard, you know, and they, they go to clear all these exams that we force them to clear PSLE, O-levels, A-levels, university. And then, then we say suddenly now, oh, things have changed. And I tell my students, I say, look, so exciting you have a blank slate and you can draw whatever you want yeah take the pen and go for it and some of them will stare at me and go how you know because i don't know where to draw because the lines have faded and i stopped and i paused and i said indeed for someone like me right i knew exactly where i was heading each phase of my life because the world was so stable and there's some advantage a lot of advantages to growing up in that kind of stability now it's not so stable you know with that we have a war going on, we have hyperinflation, we have climate change. It's scary being a young person. So we are keeping a very close eye on them to make sure that they understand that they are not alone in this, right? And they can dream dreams still. So three groups of precious Singaporeans we need to love. We are all in this together. Our point is a great overview of this evolving landscape. Of course, young seniors right in the centre of this discussion. We've been speaking with Pauline Strong. She is the Professor of Sociology for the School of Social Sciences and the Dean of Students at the Singapore Management University. Pauline, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ryan. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. 
That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Audio at the App Store and Google Play.